through me so uh he's got another one coming i owe him a few um i mean last year's show i felt like was relatively clean and, and good racing some bumping some banging but we could run long stretches of green flag action where today was i would call it a, a disaster with just the the disrespect from everybody of just driving through each other and, and not you know just letting everything kind of work its way out but I mean, it's a quarter mile. It's it's tight quarters racing, actually. This is probably how it should have gone last year, so we got spoiled with a good show the first year. Um, so, you know, maybe this was just normal. Hey, race fans. Welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network, and welcome to the Draft of the Circus program produced by Sinister One Productions. Gosh, guys, we are live tonight uh, for the first time in a long time. We used to do this show live back in 2012 or so. But uh, joining me in the studio, Levi, Louise Torres, Richard Union, fellas, what's up? What's up? How's it going? Yo. All, all right. So, man, great to see you all. And, uh, you know, guys, we, we are live. So uh, if you want to put a comment on the Facebook page, um, we will try to respond to as many as we can. But, uh you know, we're here for you. We'll be here for the next hour talking to everything racing. And uh, so the top of the uh, show there, you saw a little clip from Kyle Bush giving us uh, his thoughts about the clash at the Coliseum was uh, he, he felt like we were a little spoiled because it was a nice, clean show last year. And this year, uh, not quite so much. Um, but uh, Louise, you spent your weekend out there in Los Angeles at the clash. I saw some of your photographs you took and read some of your uh things you wrote so uh, uh louise give us a little give us a little rundown on how this year's uh clash was it looked like it was a little less attended than last year's sellout crowd but uh still not horrible hmm that's about that be up for honest debate about the crowd is concerned obviously there was a few a lot more on the where the peristyle where the steps are because of the usc students probably a chunk of them might have gone there just to see wiz khalifa perform but that's what is a different story. But the racing product a year ago, we had minimal, relatively minimal incidents. If there were big, there were pretty big wrecks last year compared to this year in the sense that they had to stop the race the grand total of two times. This year, we only had one. But the series of incidents left and right was catastrophically double, maybe triple the what we had a year ago. And this even goes to the qualifiers and the heats, the last chance qualifiers and the heats, that it was just. Cautions breed cautions, and then the first half it looked like okay, not a whole. There were some cautions there and there, 
But then after Wiz Khalifa before halftime, that's when everything kind of went to hell in a handbasket. And we had caused 11 out of the 16 yellows in that second half, along with like three of them happening in a single lap because green flag laps only counted. So we saw a lot of comers and goers. We saw guys like Eric Amarola and Bubba Wallace do really well in the first half. Then in the second half, it transitioned to Ryan Priest and Martin Truex Jr. Priest, who had a great run a year ago in the Rick Ware car, really showcased that maybe it's the driver that is making the 41 not look as good to the point that this is the kind of, it's kind of like right now, I know it's only one week into the season, technically. It's hard to tell how he's, Ryan Priest is going to do for the rest of the season. But what we saw so far is that probably Tony Stewart is in like in the I told you so face to Gene Haas because Tony wanted Ryan Priest. Gene Haas wanted to keep Cole Custer in that 41 another year. And already, Ryan Priest in that 41 car has led more laps than Custer did in his entire tenure in the Cup Series. Already. But with 24 laps to go and several more yellows, Martin Truex Jr., who was probably one of the worst drivers in last year's clash, that got in, if I recall, on the provisional because he made it to championship four. 180, a complete 180. He was consistent. He's been fat. He was fast in practice. He was fast all weekend to where he showed up. And he's like, he said it in his own words. He's driving like a madman because if you look back at last year, he didn't make the playoffs. He went winless. And now yeah, he's. Yeah, Martin's uh, had a tough time both professionally and personally. You know, his uh, relationship ended with uh, with Sherry. So I, I don't know if that factors into him just throwing more of his uh, energy into racing. But uh, certainly he looked like the Martin Truex of old, uh, you know, that uh, Martin Truex from 2017, who was nearly unbeatable. But, uh, yeah, so good for him. I mean, he's uh, coming off of a bit of a slump season, uh, even though he looked really good week in, week out, never did hit victory lane. Did not make the playoffs, so a uh, good way to start the year again. Non-points race, so it doesn't. It's not going to get him a spot in the playoffs, but it's uh, certainly a good way to start the season. Absolutely, and I think it does help him go with momentum into Daytona. Like his ex-teammate that he had a battle a couple times, Kyle Busch, they're looking for the maiden Daytona 500 win. Truex, as you'll recall, lost in the nail-biter against Denny Hamlin in 2016. So he's coming in with a lot of momentum, that much-needed momentum. And to kind of show you, and I think it goes back to what Danny Hamlin said in the press conference when I asked him, do we expect guys like Tyler Reddick, Justin Haley, and Kyle Busch to be in the mix? And with the a year now, with one season under the belt with the current car, and then just the conditions, it, it definitely kind of boiled down to qualify. But if you saw Austin Dillon, who finished second in the RCR car, he started 10th in the main event, and he found a way to work. He had the rough fenders with a lot of guys. He had bumped into Bubba Wallace, and, and that ended his strong run And to the point that we're still talking about the safety issues of the car already once again. And it's not the only instance where the safety of the car has become a concern. We also saw Ty Gibbs, who had his car in car on fire, and during practice that he didn't even get to qualify he had to start in the rear of the field he made it into the main event by finishing second by mere inches over chase elliott in the second last chance qualifier and he has his night didn't last because he was involved in a multi-car incident that brought out the red flag for fluid that collected christopher bell Danny hamlin and michael mcdowell so it was a wreck fest which i hate saying that but overall the people 
For the most part, from what I've gathered, enjoyed the product that were there in the crowd. Obviously, social media will beg to differ, but overall, there were some exciting moments. But it, it was, there was some parody. It wasn't like a runaway like we saw, where like two drivers kind of ran the ball and dominated like Reddick and Logano a year ago. We saw a series of drivers that were in the mix, and those who got wrecked a number of times bounce back, like Kyle Busch, who was not too pleased with Joey Logano to defend the champion to where Logano was, you call it a two-face, and, and like a couple of days later, Logano admitted that he is, that he can be, but in the, in his words, he said that when he's off the track, he could, ch- he could shut the switch off of where he's calm, and then when he's on the track, that's where the two-face element comes, comes into play. We can say that about a lot of drivers. I mean, look, Tony Stewart said that about Robbie Gordon, where off the track, he is calm, but when he puts this helmet, it seems like it's a little too tight, and that's where he kind of goes, balls to the wall, crazy. Yeah, we've seen a lot of drivers like that over the mm. years. So Now, Richard, um, uh, you've worked in NASCAR for a number of years, and uh, yeah, obviously, this event is just very different than anything else we do over the whole course of the year. Um, it, it, it's shorter. There's no pit lane there. There's no actual pit stops, uh, so we don't really get a don't really get a good idea of uh, how this fares for anybody this season, but, but is there any, you know, kind of information that we can glean from uh, uh, looking at this and, and who did well and, and who ran well, or, or is this, you know, just uh, uh, just a little, little one-off experiment and we really won't know, you know, how, uh, how we're going to do till we get uh, beyond Daytona into the getting on some of the 1.5 mile tracks. Yeah. I mean the, the, the mile and a half. So you're sort of, um, you know, your bread and butter of your, your NASCAR season in, in many ways. But the, the biggest benefit from an event like The Clash will be the guys with the new team. So, Kyle Busch, for example, Tyler Reddick, um, Ty Gibbs moving up, although he has some experience with the organization, obviously. You know, new people coming in, working with new crew chiefs, new race engineers, new car chiefs, you know, how that dynamic works. And it gives them almost a free pass at it. You know, you, you, you get in there and you, uh, if you don't run great, it's not the end of the world because it's so unique. And it's not like they're running at a Phoenix or, you know, a, a track or a Charlotte, a track where they, they go to a number of times uh, through the year and can get some really good data from it. And also, even going through Daytona, that's a bit of a free pass as well because really from an engineering perspective, there's not much you can do on a super speedway car. You just turn it with what you've got. And if it's quick, it's quick. You know, those races are very, very much driver um dependent there's not much the teams can do to to improve the performance there but but one topic i did briefly want to touch on uh, was uh, you we mentioned the, the the wreck fest of um the clash but you know you look at there was there was plenty of bumping and banging and you know people turning if that was martinsville everybody would be loving it and saying what a classic martinsville race it was because it's a new place everybody's t- saying it's terrible you know, well, what do you want? You know, you can't have it both ways. And I've seen some comments, you know, on some of the social media platforms about how, you know, oh, it should never be racing there. But yeah, if you have those num- that many number of cautions at Martinsville or a Bristol night race, oh, people will say it's classic NASCAR. So, you know, it is what it is. But, it is what it yeah, is, yeah. You can't make a huge amount. You can't make a huge amount from these races. It's just that familiarity. You know, it's like 
it's like your first week back at college. You know, you don't really have any any lectures or anything. You just get to remember who your friends are and who your friends aren't. And I think they learned that pretty quickly this last weekend. <laughs> I don't know about yeah, college, man. Maybe so. high school, buddy. You get a good point. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so Lee, how you doing tonight, buddy? I'm good, man. Doing good. Yeah. What I want to ask you about and what your thoughts are are uh, the sustainability of this event. All right. So we've got a huge drop off in attendance after one year. And we, when we consider what it costs to put this thing on, you know, we're talking about converting the whole football field into a racetrack and then tearing it down and putting it back. I mean, do you feel like uh, this is, this thing is going to disappear soon or, or do you think that they can actually try to, you know, maybe it's just, second year slump or whatever, or, or like Louise alluded to earlier before we we're on the air that the weather was unseasonably chilly for Los Angeles. But uh, yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts? You think that thing is going to be around for a while because they certainly put a lot of, uh, a lot of promotion into it. <laughs> they put a lot of promotion into it. They put a lot of money into it. I don't see the sustainability of, uh, of this race. It's a, it's a tough sell LA in itself is, really not a sports town. Uh, you know, the Dodgers and, uh, you know, the football team, if they're doing good, they get, they get seats, they get, they get fans in the, in the seats. But um, it, it, when the teams aren't doing good, there's nobody in the stands. Um, and those are, you know, the, those are teams that play there on a weekly basis and they have a sustained fan base all year round. Um NASCAR, I think I, I've got to tip my hat to them. They've really tried to uh, reach a demographic in a market that normally wouldn't have an event like this. Um, and I just, you, you know, the money that they spend putting a track together like that, I mean, it's got to be six, seven figures just to do what they do. You know, put, a, put the track down, uh, prep the surface, and then, you know, to try to put fans in the seats, um, you know, Luis mentioned, you know, a lot of USC fans there. Um, I know the first year, I know last year, uh, I have some friends out in LA and they were like, you know, we got tickets to go see the NASCAR race. I was like, oh, great. How much did that cost you? No, nothing. They just gave us tickets. Um, so it's really, I, I commend NASCAR for what they're doing, but there's really, the return on investment is, is, is low. Because well, um, LA is just a tough sports market. Uh, like I said, they have major, major sports franchises there that that struggle just to keep 75 percent capacity on a regular season, you know, every game. Um, and it's tough to co to have a sport come in there once a year um, and do that. And then I think NASCAR made an error this year um, because the Grammys were the same night, uh, you know, here it is an entertainment town and in 98% of the town is, is on Hollywood Boulevard watching the stars uh, do their thing. And, you know, how do you compete with televised Grammys? It's, it's just, it, it was a tough market. I hope if NASCAR does go forward, um, I hope they rethink some of the, some of their, uh, their planning of the events so that they're not faced with, you know, national syndicated events like the Grammys, but I do, I commend them for a job well done, but I just don't think the sustainability is there. They're losing do you, money. 
Do you right. feel like if they get like more relatively recent acts that are still culturally relevant, like Iowa IndyCar with Ed Sheeran, would that kind of help grow more people that want to go I, there from an entertainment standpoint? I, I do. I think you know, uh, Wiz Khalifa was a was a great. I mean, he he's still pop. He's still in pop culture. He's still got yeah. songs on the radio. He's still got a big fan base. Cypress Hill, um, you know, they opened. They've got a you know, they're just they're going to have a big fan base no matter what. Um, but I, I think if they did bring in maybe a, a big headliner act, it might help them. But in the long run, again, you're talking of one event a year at a, a city that can barely hold its own, putting fans in, in, in seats for their major league teams. Um, it's just, it's tough. You know, um, I, I want NASCAR to succeed in that, in that marketplace, I just don't. I don't think it's going to happen. Understandable. Also, goes back I to the other oh, question. So, sorry, sorry. Quick, quickly, it goes back to the other question. I think was just because you're filling the seats with external entertainment, so people are going there because there's music or there's celebrity, whatever you want to call it. This is a race. You want people going there for the race. Yeah. Where's the benefit of people going there? Yeah. Okay. You get. 30,000 people there rather than 10 because they want to see, you know, whoever on stage. Okay, well, that's like a fake, false, you know, false. What good is it doing? You know, you want people going there for the race. And it's a difficult scenario for them to be in. They've got to do more, I think, to sell the race itself. Yeah, I think that is got a good point i also from what i gather Ticketmaster listed the tickets at 5 p.m rather than 2 30 or 2 o'clock for the heats that's why the heat races and last year's qualifiers was pretty low but i mean what do you expect to be honest with you yeah i mean i can't remember the last time i went to an event and uh, bought tickets and didn't check the itinerary before i went (laughs) (laughs) yeah but that's that's you you're you're one of the smart what i'd be interested to see is how the all-star race later in the season, which is going to be at North Wilkesboro, which is going to be your other non-points paying race. So we're, we're talking, we're putting that in a classic NASCAR market. Mind you, it's a very small market, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a track with a lot of rich NASCAR history. I'd really like to see how that does, because I don't think it'll take much for them to make a profit off of that um, and sustain that because you've got a lot of fans built in in the area and um you know i know they put a lot of money into getting the track ready but once it's once it's ready uh, i want to say like year two year three i think i think that one's going to be sustainable has it already sold out i mean i know the ticket prices are astronomically high yes they so, are uh, it's a, they're a little they're already selling nutty, weekend yeah. tickets they're not selling day tickets so they're you know, it's it's in the hundreds of dollars per ticket um, because they obviously they put a lot of money into the facility to to get it back up to the required standards, and uh, you know they need that money back. Um, and it's a private investment; it's not a NASCAR investment, I believe. Uh, I think Dale Jr. is involved in it, yeah, um, he's, so, he's got his name attached to it. Yeah, uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that plans out. And again, you've got sustainability in, in two ways, haven't you? you know, if people aren't going because they're not interested, that's one thing, but then. If people aren't going because you can't afford the ticket prices, and that's another issue. And North Wilkesboro isn't exactly in the most affluent part of North Carolina. You know, it's uh, oh, certainly yeah. not, certainly not. Sure. But uh, at the same time, anything, 
you know, almost anything you want to go to entertainment wise is sports or music or not. Tickets are in the hundreds of dollars. I mean, I mean, they really are. I mean, look at what, uh, you know, some of these music acts are charging. Look at the Look at the tickets for the downtown NASCAR race in Chicago. You know what I mean? If you kind of yeah. just look across the board, you know, I, was, I remember when, uh, you know, I was a kid, everything was either 950 or 1250. Yeah. But that ship has long since sailed. I've got a, I've got a, um, a ticket stub from a Green Bay Packers game I went to in 1995 and the, and the face value was 25 bucks. My gosh, you can't walk into an NFL game anymore without dropping a couple of hundred bucks. And if, uh, you know, if you want to have a, a better seat, you know, you're, you're talking several hundred bucks. So I, I, I don't, I think your point about the uh, North Wilkesboro not being a very affluent market is quite valid, but, but I would say the, the ticket prices themselves are pretty, you know, across the board in line with what, uh, what you, what people charge for entertainment. Yeah. yeah so, but uh, yeah. you know, that's neither here nor there. I, the Indy 500 still offers one of the best values uh, for ticket price, but even there, even they're going up, I think 15 bucks a ticket next year. But uh, I, I mean, my indie tickets are 80 bucks, right. And they're, they're pretty darn good seats. I think they're going up to, 95 next year but uh you know at a low they were they were 75 they went up to 80 so i think that's still a decent value but again this venue with a lot of seats to sell so yeah that, that is very very true and also i think wilkesboro is going to be a one-hot ticket just in general yeah obviously for me my eyes are probably going to be on indy because that's qualifying weekend but wilkesboro is going to be like the one-hot ticket for people that would like to go and i think from a town perspective, it could save them in a few years because they've been in this disrepair for a long time because they lost their main income source of income from people, the patrons, and so on um, that come to the town to eat. Uh, and all that. I don't know if there's too many people that are over enamored with the thought of the uh, the race going back there, but uh, I know it's causing a bit of consternation in the local community, from what I've heard. But uh, hopefully yeah, that's, that's why I'm focusing on, on the, the local. Well, I mean, you know, they yeah. they they left Wilkesboro in the first place because of the lack of infrastructure and the uh, just yeah. the mess that it made. Yeah. But uh, just a, yeah, a coat of paint but, on the uh, track's not going to change change anything on that extent. <laughs> no, no, no. So, uh, I mean, you need to uh, you need to make sure you do it right. Like, uh, you know, when they had a, the the first Cup race in Kentucky and they had the horrible traffic problems. Next year, they suck a ton of money into adding lanes to the interstate and adding lanes to the exits and adding parking and then the the next several races were fine no no issues but the damage was done the people went the first year and they you had people that waited three hours to get to the track and then found that there was no place to park ended up missing the race because they couldn't get in uh so the you know the following year the attendance was down and now we no longer race in kentucky so you've got to you've got to do it right from the get-go and i i again you know wilkesboro had a tough time their last go around in the, in the 90s and early 2000s. So, uh, you know, if they don't change more than just a coat of paint on the track, you know, that's that. So anyway, so Louise, any anything else uh, coming out of the clash you want to talk about before we move on to another topic? We I have alluded to on the safety issues to where Bubba Wallace felt like he was dealing with some pain and also Ty Gibbs is car kind of went on fire on the interior side of things. That's been like the main concern Again, it's the safety issues that we talked about throughout of last year. And along with that, as far as the LA Clash is concerned, there's still that big rumor with Fontana 
regardless, will not be in the 2024 calendar because they still have yet to put a timetable when they're going to make convert it to a two-mile to a short track. That some people thought, oh, maybe the LA Coliseum will become a points-paying race. And there's a couple, like Truex and Jason Smalls said, keep it as is for the clash because it's something different and unique because there's no, like you mentioned already, there's no pit stops. There's no strategy involved, really. It's just a matter of small adjustments in the break and not get turned and make most out of opportunities where there's an open lane. But besides that, that's all that kind of went down, to be honest with you, that I just mentioned. Yeah. Now, is that Fontana announcement? I read that the other day. They're not going to go to Fontana in 24. Now, is that is that due to the construction where they're going to convert it to a, a, a half mile oval? Or is that because that I feel like that's kind of gone on the back burner. There was a big a lot of talk about that. And suddenly, everyone's pretty quiet about that. It's just there's no time. Tr- they're still trying to figure out a time p- timetable on when they're going to convert it. It's not going to happen in 24. It's borderline whether or not we're going to go back to Fontana in 2025 yet. Because they got to figure all that stuff out, like the property and also just the time when to tear it down and make it to a short track. You know, I, I could almost see River or Riverside. Um, Fontana just going by the way, wayside like a Riverside or like an Ontario Motor Speedway just because, uh, you know, that's L.A. market. That's valuable real estate, right? that they could make so much more. That's, you know, that's what happened to Ontario. That's what happened to Riverside. Uh, that's what happened to Bridgehampton up in, uh, up in New York. So uh, yeah. I really, I really can see them scrapping the whole half mile plan and just, you know, no longer have a racetrack there. It wouldn't, it would not surprise me one bit. I anyway. mean, Riverside was considered to be, they were trying to make it a well, a super speedway and that fell through. Yeah. So it'll anyways, be a shame if we don't go back to Fontana in regards again because it's one good indie car venue they can never go back. And even if they make it a short track, it's not going to happen at all because. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they hosted some great indie car races there at Fontana. But unfortunately, the last several years, nobody came to watch them. And, you know, it's like if a tree falls in the forest, you know, did Will Power still win the thing? You know what I mean? So, but that is neither here nor there. So let's move on. Um, so next, we're heading from Los Angeles to Daytona. So the Daytona 500 is coming up. And there's a couple of uh, uh, surprise driver announcements here. Um, obviously, we've talked about uh, Travis Pastrana. Uh, he's uh, released his livery. He's going to be going for a spot. But the one that popped up the other day was Connor Daly. Um, Connor Daly out of the IndyCar series. He said he's got a couple of uh, Xfinity starts under his belt. Um, he really hasn't set the world on fire, but he, but he hasn't, you know, embarrassed himself, but he's gonna, he's gonna run the, the Floyd Mayweather owned car, um, with, uh, Bit Nile as his sponsor and Bit Nile again, is his IndyCar sponsor. Those guys are all in with Connor Daly and Ed Carpenter. So, uh, again, we've got six guys going after four available spots. One of those guys is Jimmy Johnson. Right. And then of course you got Pastrana, Elio, and then a couple of other guys, Louise, you could probably fill me in. Who yeah. I was going to say uh, Elio is off the table for now. It's likely going to be 2024. That yeah, yeah. Elio. So yeah, El- Elio. Yeah. There were some rumors and, but it just, I, I think he just didn't 
wasn't able to put anything together, but yeah, that got debunked during Rolex 24 weekend. Yeah, but I will tell you that Connor Daly is one of, I believe, now seven Daytona 500 rookies, but one of five rookies that are sure that must qualify. Only one of them, one of those rookies, will have to go home. The ones that are have to qualify that are rookies are Connor Daly, Zane Smith, Chandler Smith, Austin Hill, and Travis Pastrana. And then the other rookies that are guaranteed in the Daytona 500 are Ty Gibbs and Riley Herbst in the Rick Ware 15 car. And it's important to note that Noah Gregson ran last year's Daytona 500 for Beard Motorsports, but he is one of two official cup rookies that are running for Rookie of the Year honors and for a playoff spot along with Gibbs. So essentially, you've got a plethora of rookies that are standing out in trucks and Xfinity trying to go for the 500, and then you've got outsiders trying to make the Great American Race like Jack Villeneuve did last season. And if you were to tell me now who I think is going to be the two quickest guys, I think Johnson is doable, but I think the second one is wide open between the Smiths and Connor Daly. I would not be surprised if he actually puts up a good qualifier. I want to say that Mayweather team they put together, uh, they stuck in last year, did they not? Yeah, with Casgrala making the 500. Yeah, they put together a good run. But, uh, you know, I... My thoughts on Connor Daly have always been kind of contrary to what his fans think, right? I, I, I feel that Connor Daly is a respectable driver, but I think he's no more than a midfield talent. And and every time I kind of mention that, I get the ire of the IndyCar faithful because other than people just love Connor Daly because, you know, he's from Indiana and he's a local guy. And he's he's just honestly, as a human being, he's just a good dude. He really is, but but he really has never kind of set the world on fire, and he's had decent rides, right? But everybody always wants to make excuses for him. So I'd be interested to see how he runs at Daytona. Um, and then they're they're talking like six other races for him uh, with the Mayweather team. Uh, so I don't know what other six races they'll put on there, but I, I want to say that uh, Connor's Xfinity experience is limited to road courses if i'm not mistaken yeah that was the the time where he had that lily sponsorship and that would and that caused a massive storm yeah yeah that was well his dad's comments from like a, several decades ago so so lee any thoughts on connor daly you don't know the dude do you <laughs> i have heard the name i i'm not gonna lie i've heard the name not a uh IndyCar, you know, I know about it. I know he's a good driver, and I'm anxious to see what he does. Um, I think he's going to be quick. Um, he'd probably be in the top 50%, I hope, in qualifying. That would be nice for him. Uh, we'll see yes. what, he, what he brings around. Yeah, right, boys, good, good way to answer the question without answering the question. <laughs> <laughs> the boys down to how many? I don't know. Well, uh, uh, hey, look, look, what, hey, when I what? when I get into it, I'll start asking some NHRA questions, and we'll see. I what know, we can right? Get on this yeah, one, right? then you then you put me in a spot. You're going to get me back one of these days. Yeah. But look, oh, I sure look, will. Hey, man, one of these days we're going to have a program all about Argentinian uh, uh, yeah, touring, touring car <laughs> racing. So, yeah, so, all right, so so Richard, who do you like? Who do you like for Daytona? Uh, and as far as, uh, you know, and, you know, it's always a crapshoot, right? But uh, uh, which of the manufacturers do you think has, I, I want to say last year, the Fords were really good. And I'm putting you on the spot, Richard. You don't want to answer this, do you? <laughs> you know my opinion on who's going to be quick there this year. 
Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, it's it, it, it's an interesting event. You know, there's it always um, uh, it's, it's always so difficult when you have this flagship event for the series being the first race of the year. And in some ways, who wins the 500 is almost bigger than who wins the championship. So it it always puts a lot of pressure on the teams. And, you know, it's the two-week event. It, it, it's different from any other race weekend that they have. The qualifying is different. The, the race is different in many, many ways. So it does put a lot of pressure on these teams to, uh, to, to come out and, and uh, you know, fire on all cylinders, literally, for this event. So... you. It's how they work as a team fundamentally. It's how these groups work as, as a pack. And, you know, you have to look at uh, the, the teams with the most entrants in there. You know, the Ford and Chevy do dominate the field with the number of cars going there. And uh, it's how they work as a pack. But if you can get three or four guys up there at the front with five laps to go, then that puts you in a really, really strong position. And, and what happens in the previous, you know, 450 miles is just a lottery, basically. It, it all comes down to those last... Uh, those last few laps there and uh, yeah it's very 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 difficult to pick um you know a, a definitive winner based on that yeah absolutely and we'll got we've got another week before Daytona we've got uh pole qualifying coming up this weekend and then we've got the uh, the duels uh but then the um obviously this weekend is Super Bowl Sunday so that'll be uh dominating the sports pages and then Daytona will be the following weekend so uh Louise who do you who do you kind of like for? I mean, we're not gonna we'll do our picks next week, but uh, what do you what do you what are you looking forward to uh, with the five hundred this year? Who who do you who do you have your eye on? I think you can look no further than the Gibbs, the twenty three eleven cars, and of course Penske and RFK. But we saw last year they were strong in the five hundred. I don't expect any of it. I don't expect anything different. But I'm going to keep an eye on the RCR duo of Kyle Busch and Austin Dillon. Of course, Dillon won the August race at Daytona that I don't know how you want to view it considering everybody else wrecked after the, before he got to the front. Just so happy to be in the one of the few that didn't, but Cowboys has the mean streak going. He has a sense of urgency. And then Austin Dillon, you never can count him out on the super speedways. It doesn't matter how he goes about it. That's all. But I think it's tough to beat the Ford camp a little bit, but the Toyotas are knocking on that door and they've been doing so for a while. So I wouldn't count those guys out. I think if I were to pick or too early pick, I'm going to go with Wallace or Reddick as my 500 picks. It could change in a matter of a week from now. Absolutely. So Lee, who do you think are some of the, you know, like a dark horse candidate, like somebody that we might not expect to do well. Cause you know, Daytona and the play races in general have a history of producing kind of like surprise winners. So is there anybody you're kind of keeping your eye on to kind of like break the mold of who ought to win? Um, I think a dark horse, some people would put him at the, at the top, but I, I, you know, he hasn't rate, hasn't stepped foot in a NASCAR in a couple of years and that's Jimmy Johnson. Um, you know, I think, He's a he's a fan favorite, but he's stepping back into a, a you know a NASCAR uh, a gen car that I don't think he has a lot of seat time in. So I think he's going to be cautious, probably in the in, in you know in the duels and qualifying and stuff like that. But come race day, um, I would not be surprised if we see him battling up front, um, 
pretty much all all afternoon and then i you know i I wouldn't be surprised if he pulls into winter in the winter circle at the end of this thing. Um, he's just, he's got that much talent. I think he's, you know, no matter what you do with him, I think he's going to be a, a, a good driver, but like I said, he just, the new cars, he doesn't have a whole lot of experience. in. so we'll, we'll see. Uh, but my, my dark horse is going to be Jimmy Johnson this, this year. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Jimmy really knows his way around an NASCAR track and knows his, yeah. uh, he knows, he knows how to get a car set up. Uh, he obviously, he's in a new situation, uh, you know, uh, new crew, new this, but, uh, but still the same old Jimmy. So, yeah, he's got All Todd right. Gordon on top of the box, so that will help him a bit. Yeah, so you can't yeah. go wrong with Todd Gordon. Yeah, that guy knows what he's doing there. So, all right, so let's uh, let's like jump back a week, right? or jump back a couple of weeks. Talk about the, uh, the Rolex 24. No, I'm sorry. Before we do that, let's talk about the IndyCar testing at thermal. Okay. So that's the first official full field test of the IndyCars. Had it at thermal motor thermal park. I'm sorry. It's not a motor speedway. It's a park and it is essentially a country club. Or right? if you're not familiar with thermal, it is a very exclusive, uh, kind of country club. And if you want to, uh, you know, it's a, it's a country club, except it has a racetrack instead of a golf course. Although it wouldn't be surprised if there's a golf course there too, but um, very exclusive. I mean, if you want to, if you want to be a member of thermal club, it's uh, just a mere 175 grand to uh, fill out the application. And then it's $2,400 a month. But the kicker is you have to buy a plot of real estate and build a luxury home on there. So you're, you're literally in for roughly five to $6 million dollars. Uh, before you remember a thermal club, but uh, once you are, you're right there on the track and uh, they've got uh, a track with five different layouts and they had a, uh, uh, a, a course set up for the Indy cars there, 2.9 mile, 17 turn circuit. And uh, the Indy cars had two successful days of testing. Not a lot of uh, issues there, but it looked like um, the uh, coming out of the box, the Andretti car is really strong. Connor Daly led the first couple of sessions there, but then the later sessions, we saw a couple of the, of the younger guys like Kyle Kirkwood and Callum Eilat really, really run well. And uh, Marcus Armstrong had a good run. So Louise, you get to catch any of the, any of the footage from thermal at all, or. I was too constant. I was in full concentration mode on the clash, but I did saw the, the results. It looked like, Marcus Erickson held, was top in one of those sessions. So it looked like the Hondas are still looking Hondas, sporty. Yeah, Hondas look good, yeah. Yeah, and I did. I'm glad you mentioned Callum Eilat as well because he's showing us he's showing some of that momentum he had at the end of last year so far, and that's going to be key to where he, it's going to help Kunkos. Obviously, you have Augustine Canapino. He did fine. He wasn't at the bottom of the charts at any point, so that shows some promise. And also Marcus Armstrong. Comes into the 11 car that's going to be co-shared by Takuma Sato when Sato runs the Ovals. It's like, okay, not bad. He's doing he's all doing his own thing, which, I mean, you're driving for Ganassi. you got to do good regardless. It's, I know it's been a while since we had that little dark period, like at the post-Vassar Sonardi Montoya phase where you had a couple of good but so-so drivers until Dixon kind of came along. I mean, Manassian was kind of... Uh... You know, eh, but uh, I mean, Bruno Jacare turned out to be pretty good. Yeah, he won, 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 won a race in his first season. But uh, back to, you know, the current decade, um, you know, who was at the bottom of the charts was the A.J. Foyt cars once again. 
And with Santino Ferrucci in the full-time seat there, and it looks like really they haven't made any progress. Um, you know, he's not only last, but he's, you know, I, I mean, literally the, the field is separated by not very much in IndyCar top to bottom, but, uh, you know, he's still a couple of tenths off, uh, off a guy ahead of him. So, and, and Santino's a pretty decent driver. He's a good, he's a good oval driver, but he's, but he's a really good road course driver. And, uh, it just shows that they really still struggling in engineering there at Foyt. So, uh, uh, again, disappointing, you know, it seemed like Foyt retools every couple of years, new drivers, new sponsors, new, they get excited to hire some new engineers and they still, Still no results. So uh, hopefully that's not a, you know, a, a, a snapshot of how their whole season is going to go uh, because uh, fruit, has got a decent fan base and a lot of people are looking for him to kind of be the, the savior of AJ Floyd racing. But so far, yeah, it's uh, not looking great for them, but yeah, it's good. We'll see how things go at St. Pete next month, because <coughs> I mean, they, they bring in people, like you mentioned, they brought Michael Cannon out of Ganassi to go to Foyt. So you got to see some progress. It may take time, but we've seen the same song and dance almost every single year, unfortunately. I mean, look at Kyle Kirkwood. He, he spent the one year with Foyt. Abysmal, to say at, at in lamest terms. And he goes to Andretti, where we... Exp- and already he's kind of showcasing that maybe 2023... It's his rookie year 2.0. Yeah, I think uh, I'm, you know, Kyle Kirkwood is my early race, you know, my early pick to be the the next new race winner in IndyCar. Uh, I think that the Andretti cars look pretty good uh, based on this first test. And again, you know, we're still, we're a month out from the season opener. So uh, we'll just kind of have to see how that goes. But uh, it's good to see all the cars on the track, all the new liveries, all the people in their new places. So, Lee, you get a chance to look at any of it at all or? I was busy with the Argentinian touring cars this week, so I didn't get a chance. I got to you. I got you. Yeah, well, on, the, on, the, on the Indy test at Thermal Sub. Yeah, uh, that's okay. I mean, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't on broadcast television either. You would have had to tune into the IndyCar app to watch it. So, Richard, any thoughts about IndyCar coming out of Thermal before we move on to the next topic? No, I think the the, the pecking order was was not a huge change from what we've uh, what we've grown to expect. It is, as you mentioned, there. It's a disappointment to see fight team down there at the bottom there's, there seems to be a lot of false dawns with them over the years and at some point you've got to wonder where uh, you know where, where the limit is for the people backing that team um, you can't keep doing what they're doing uh, hiring people that are hiring because they have spent some money on that side of things at some point you've got to get a result yeah absolutely yeah so so let's let's backtrack a couple of weeks and let's review the Rolex 24 which is the unofficial season opener for all of racing, we got uh, the winners were Tom Blumquist, Colin Braun, Elio Castro Nevis, and Simon Pagano driving the Acura for Michael Shank Racing. Uh, again, this is uh, the new class, the GTP class that mirrors the Le Mans hypercar class. Um, this is Elio's third Rolex 24 win. So he's, uh, you know, he's packing up them majors. You know, the man's got 4,500s. Now he's got three Rolex 24s. And here's a guy they say is old and should retire. Well, maybe not, you know, got a little, got a little Tom Brady in him there, man. You know, not, not quite done yet. Um, 
So, but uh, Richard, um, yeah, talk to us a little bit about the, um, uh, the, the tremendous technology in this new, this new, the, the hybrid hypercar class. Cause it's, uh, it's really, I think it was really a slam dunk with both fans and pundits alike. I think everybody really enjoyed what the cars brought to the show. Oh, these are, they're fantastic cars. They're, um, Probably outside of Formula One, the second most technically advanced car in the world, um, they do some some amazing performance with what they have. And the, you know, the the hard thing is, your twenty four hours is your ultimate test for these things. And that they passed it seemingly with flying colours. I think the Porsche Penske had a battery change to make at one point, but that was the only real issue that I saw. And the other issues and the other delays that they had were were things any twenty four hour race will uh, will uncover. So, uh, yeah, I mean, huge amount of respect and uh, plaudits for the, to, to the teams that have gone out there and achieved uh, some pretty pretty impressive results with uh, with these new cars. Um, it, well, an interesting thing to note with the Acura is uh, they've actually maintained the chassis from previous years, um, whereas the other manufacturers have completed not only a new powertrain, but also a new chassis. So. There may be a little early advantage there for the Acura in that they have a known platform that they can build upon and go racing with. Uh, so the actual vehicle dynamic side of it, the setup, the engineering of the car is going to be pretty consistent. It's obviously uh, they only have to concentrate on the new engine uh, behavior, whereas some of the other teams uh, have got two things to deal with. But uh, and a fantastic racing. Uh, it, it really is a great way to open the season. And uh, I probably watched far too much of it to be considered normal. Uh, for a 24-hour race, but uh, yeah, no, no, excellent, excellent, uh, excellent weekend. Yeah, great show. So, speaking of which, now your uh, your forte is Formula One. Uh, so this is the last couple of weeks we've been seeing more and more of the uh, the 2023 cars being launched. Some of them are showing their actual cars; others are showing renders. So, uh, uh, what are what are some of your impressions about some of the uh, some of the 2023 launches? Well, so far, the only team that's actually launched a real car has been Alfa Romeo, and that came out today um, with their new sponsorship uh, package, which is an evolution. They've obviously lent on some of the uh, you know successful uh, designs by some of the other teams. There's a lot of Red Bull, a lot of Ferrari uh, inspiration uh, kicking around in there, which is to be expected. Um, the other manufacturers we've seen so far, the Williams, Haas, Red Bull, it, it's just purely a livery reveal, and there's nothing renderings. There's nothing really much you can you can pick out of those. It's, it's not going to be for another couple of weeks until we hit the track for preseason testing in Bahrain, until we actually see what uh, what the teams have in store for us. But uh, you know, the the, the Alfa Romeo is an, an evolution. Um, you know, these teams are still getting uh, to grips with the uh, with the car and the uh, the. The, the new regulations from from last year, you know, of the the ground effect car, uh, and with the cost cap as well, you're probably not going to see these huge swings of uh, design change. You're not going to see the, you know, something as as dramatic as like the walrus nosed car from Williams back in the day, or or some of these other things that uh, you know we've grown to expect. The, the cars are going to be very very evolutionary, I think, just purely because of the cost of designing a new car is is pretty high. So, uh, you know, the teams don't want to incur those expenses, uh, especially as Red Bull are showing, because they, they, they're still complaining about their penalty from their cost ca- uh, cap breach uh, a couple of years ago. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what they can bring to the table. But, uh, yeah, so far it's looking pretty good. All right. That being said, so let's uh, 
Yeah, we're getting close to the end of the hour, but I do, you know, we brought Lee on board to uh, cover the NHRA for us. So, Lee, would you uh, give us a kind of a quick preview of the 2023 NHRA with some dates when we start and some things to look for? <laughs> sure. Uh, so we start, uh, I believe it's March 9th is when the season starts, uh, first weekend of March, uh, Winter Nationals in Gainesville, Florida. It's uh, much equated to uh, Daytona, and it's like the flagship race of the season. Uh, this year, uh, starting off at um, at the Winter Na- uh, at Internationals, they're gonna the induction class for the Hall of Fame was uh, announced today. Some of the names on the list: uh, John Force, obviously, who's at the top of the list. Uh, Carol Bunny Burker. Uh, she's a driver, um, really influential in the 60s, 70s, uh, great driver. Uh, Shelly Anderson, she's another fantastic driver. Uh, Ron Arby, he's a uh, designer, engine builder, chassis builder. Uh, so th- those names going into the Hall of Fame this year, uh, good way to start it off. Um, we've also got um, a, a new new engine this year uh they're introducing a fuel injected nitro funny car um it's going to be running with the regular funny car class this year um and in the the big engines the nitro classes the engines are aspirated um just because the horsepower is so so strong that um they got they kind of they're kind of it's like a restrictor plate that's why they keep it aspirated but this year they're they're going to start uh introducing some fuel injection into the into the engines and they're going to start with the uh, nitro funny car uh mixed deal is going to be driving that he stepped up he's going to he put his name on the list to uh kind of be the crash test dummy not really the crash test dummy but he's going to be the lead co- <laughs> lead pilot on this i guess is what we could call it so um he's a six-time uh northeast guy uh looking forward to what he's going to do um you know, teams are just just like in F1. Teams are starting to render out their cars for the year. Uh, Tony Stewart Racing, uh, he came out. He and his wife uh, Leah Pruitt and their teammate Matt Hagen uh, introduced their uh, slime, call it slime body style, slime paint scheme this year. It looks really good. Um, so, not a whole lot of changes, uh, but you know, just some color schemes and. Uh, you know, as the, as the days get closer and the weeks get closer, uh, there's going to be a lot more in the news about them. But that was the stuff that came out this past weekend. Um, uh, the uh, Hall of Fame class and the uh, the uh, introduction of mixed deal in the in the nitro car uh, for fuel injection. So now I do have one real quick question, though. I know they mentioned Pomona's off the calendar. Is that the reason why now they're starting in March rather than the traditional early February? Uh, yeah, I think that's the that's the case. Um, they're doing some reevaluations of the tracks, um, just kind of streamlining it. Doing the well, where can we get the most bang for our buck? Uh, Pomona was a good track; it just didn't get a lot of draw. Uh, Sonoma, just up the street um, in Northern California, seemed to get a little bit more pull um, for the Western Swing. They call it, you know, when they go out to Vegas and, and Sonoma, and uh, I think they're going up to Seattle this year. Um, so they're just trying to streamline things. Uh, you know, they don't have a whole lot. NHRA doesn't have a lot, a lot of money to spend. 
Um, it's not, um, so they're just, I think they're just really trying to streamline where they're, where they can get the most bang for their buck. So um, I'd like to see Pomona back. It was a good racetrack. I went there about 20 years ago when I was uh, in the military and it was, it was a fun little track. Uh, so maybe they'll bring it back. We'll see. Is the, is the camping world um, entitlement sponsorship? Is that, is that bringing significantly less money than the, uh, the Mel yellow was or, or are they kind of still on about even footing when it comes to entitlement sponsorship? I, I don't know the dollar signs. Um, you know, obviously Coca-Cola and Mellow Yellow pulling out of their sponsorship. I don't think Camping World could fill that quota that was left behind by that, that corporate sponsorship that they had. Um, the business side of it, they don't, it's pretty tight-lipped. But I know that Camping World is seeing some return on investments being the primary sponsor. Um, again, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how they uh, they go hand in hand. Uh, most race fans and camping are, uh, you know, it, it's apples and apples. So um, but money wise on that business side, I'd like to see, I'd like to see how the season goes and, and maybe Camping World will get a little bit bi uh, bigger piece of the pie from uh, the NHRA this year. So. All right. Well, good, man. Thank you so much. So uh, we've got a couple minutes left and there's just, just this is one other odd little news story that we forgot to mention, which is uh, Kyle Bush found himself in a little bit of a uh, legal hot water down in Mexico, returning from vacation when they checked his baggage. It turned out he had a handgun and some hollow point bullets in his bag. And he's, Oh my, I forgot. I had a gun. I didn't mean to bring a gun to Mexico, but uh, uh, evidently he's been, sentenced to jail in Mexico. Now, whether or not he actually will serve that time is remains to be seen. I don't believe that he will, but uh, that was just, you know, as if the man doesn't need any more distractions in his life, um, <laughs> you know, I think cha changing teams and everything else. He's got uh, his names all over the news for sneaking guns into Mexico. So, I mean, God, Louise, what are your thoughts on this, man? That's, I think uh, it boils down to either you face time three and a half years or you or you just pay a hefty fine, which I believe in addition to a hefty fine, would not be surprised if he can't travel down there for X amount and amount of years. I mean, each scenario circumstantial, I mean, Robbie Gordon in Australia because he was doing some stuff that was deemed as reckless driving. I mean, Snoop Dogg and Jeff Hardy are were barred to travel to certain countries for XYZ reasons that we could talk about some other time. But it's like Kyle Bush, I think there's this joke going around that's like, he leaves Joe Gibbs racing, now he's trying to be a gangster for whatever reason. But <laughs> there, there's some of the, but there's also somebody brought this up and I think it's pretty valid. He would. He and Braxton were at the Minnesota Mall of America when that shooting happened last year. It makes me wonder if he has that with the weaponries with him because to for his own protection. Yeah, the, just, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah that's absolutely true. Okay. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, but but how do you forget you had a handgun? You just you that I that's the question. Know. You you you, you, <laughs> you ah, I forgot my it's wallet. It's one thing. It's one thing, right? Yeah. I mean, Ti is jealous of Kyle Bush because I think didn't he go to I think he went to jail because of stuff like that because I think he had no papers like Kyle Bush did. It's like, well, then if I did, I would have not been in jail for a year in the late two thousands. Who knows? Yeah, well, I, again, like I say, if uh, Kyle Bush is trying to start the next chapter in his life, and this is, <laughs> you know, not the not the best way to kick it off. Uh, you know, getting 
knocked around by Joey Logano and then uh, getting uh, detained in Mexico. So, uh, yeah, any 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 parting thoughts, guys? We've got about three minutes left. I wanted to mention one real quick NASCAR news, and I mentioned this very briefly. Like, Zane Smith is going to be driving not just the Daytona 500 in the 36 car. He's also going to be driving a couple races in Todd Gilliland's 38 car, which continues the narrative that since 20 from 2019 onwards, there's been a different driver every single year in the 38 car. Yes, Todd Gilliland is still going to run the the rest of the schedule. That what is it like? He's going to run 30 or still races, but again, somebody else is going to be driving a few races in that 38 cars. There's there's still no continuity in that 38 car since 20 from 19 onwards. You had Reagan, you had John Hunter Nemechek, you had Anthony Alfredo, and then Todd Gillen full time this this past year, and now he's going to be in theory a part time driver. So it's a shame for Todd because he's a good kid. It's just he's not going to be able to show it properly unless I'm sure he'll find a ride. But there's just still Sonoma's the big question mark because what team will give him a ride on the road course? Because there's Joey Han out there that some teams will probably be clamoring. There's one specific team that probably will. All right. That specific team is? The 15 car of Rick Ware Racing. There you go. There you go. There it is. Joey Hand. All right. And, you know, Joey Hand always brings his A game uh, when he shows up on a road course. So, with that being said, speaking of bringing your A game, I want to thank you, Lee, Louise, and Richard, for bringing your A game tonight. I want to thank my producer, Keith Hayes, uh, for uh, getting us live, getting us on video. I really had fun tonight. I want to thank uh, the Hoobazoo Radio Network, Sinister One Productions. I want to thank... Um, Netflix, Google, um, YouTube, Spreaker, uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, but most off, I want to thank you folks that tuned in to watch us tonight. We'll be back on in a week. Until then, well, good night. Thanks for watching Draft in the Circuits. Make sure to follow Draft in the Circuits on Facebook, Spotify, Twitter, and YouTube. Draft in the Circuits is a co-Sinister One production.